Well, it's great to, uh, to have this opportunity to continue our series we've been doing on the church. And I'm going to pray that God would help us to do exactly what Matt preached on last week, which is to listen well. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this is a living word. And I ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts to hear it, to apply it, and that you would change us, Father, through that same spirit so that we may continue to live for you and your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how do you feel? This week's about serving. I want to start by asking the question, what do you think about being served? What do you think about being served? I think in some sense it depends a little on the context. Let let me explain with with a picture. Happy to be served in this kind of way? Yeah, I was at the retirement village uh, earlier in the week and uh, there's a good number of people who take cruises there, aren't there, guys? Amazing (laughs) number, really. Uh, who are are travelling around the world on big boats. Is it nice to be served in this bit? I think so. I think we can safely say that we enjoy being served when we're in the lap of luxury. At the same time, as Australians, I actually think there's another sense in which when we're being served, uh, just generally, we feel a little awkward. So as Australians, we're weird when it comes to taxis, yeah? What are we renowned for doing with taxis? Very good. Thank you, Kathy. I see that. And Mandy, thank you, for, thank you for calling out. I am looking for a little bit of repartee, so thank you, guys. I appreciate that very much. Uh, yes, we're renowned for sitting in the front seat. Now, I don't know if you're someone who loves sitting in the back seat and going, no, nah, drive me. I'm paying you a stack of money. You may as well get on with it. But generally, at least historically, we've been the people who've gone, this is a bit weird, can I just sit next to you? It'll make me feel a little bit better about the fact that you're driving me around. Okay? So I think at some level, as Aussies, we feel a bit awkward about being served. That's interesting to note. What do you think about doing the serving? What do you think about doing the serving? Well, I think, I think it's counterintuitive. It's a bit upside down. I think most of us love doing the serving. Okay, and uh, here's an example of uh, Clean Up Australia Day, uh, people with rubber gloves on picking up rubbish. But what's the feeling? Love it. Love serving our community in that practical way. When we do our Corner Connect barbecues, do you enjoy doing it, those of you who come? I love it. I love handing someone a free sausage and saying, enjoy that. We're doing it for you. I think we love it. And in fact, I'm absolutely convinced that you love it, church, uh, because I saw you do this. Um, I love Paul's uh, apron. It's something special, isn't it? Um, I saw our church on that Carol's Day do an extraordinary job of serving. But you know what? Matt and I see you do an extraordinary job of serving every single week. Every single week. You know, there are people who join Matt and I at 8 o'clock in the morning to start setting this place up. There are people who come at 9 o'clock to practice for half an hour to get the music done. There are people who set up the morning tea, who set up the kids. This is a place that I think loves serving, which Matt and I are incredibly grateful for. But let me ask you this. What place does service have in Jesus' church? At one level, you've come to a church service, so... Is that what we mean? It's not what we mean. Let's think about that. And to do that, we're going to go to the passage that Matt read for us. So if you haven't got it open, please open it up. We're in Romans chapter 12. 
Uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And the reason I'd like you to have it open, make sure I'm not getting it wrong. And also, it's good to see the word uh, even as we hear it. Well, Romans chapter 12 comes at the end of a great section. In fact, arguably, it comes at the end of a section that goes for the previous 11 chapters. And so Paul writes in chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, the therefore is, because of what I've said for the last 11 chapters, do this. Therefore, I urge you, in view of God's mercy. That raises a question, doesn't it? The question is, what is God's mercy? Whatever we're about to do, he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, and I don't want to start this morning by assuming that it's immediately clear what God's mercy is. Because you might think God's mercy is that today isn't 35 degrees. You might think it's God's mercy that it wasn't raining when you hopped out of the car this morning. You might think it's God's mercy that you're here at all. When Paul here refers to God's mercy, what is it that he's referring to? Well, let let me tell you, I'll, I'll take you back. If you're happy being a Bible flipper, stay in Romans, go back a little bit to chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I'd love you to have a look at verses 6 to 8. We're answering the question, what is this mercy of God? It says this in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the, the, the Christian church is filled with good news and bad news. And you have to hear the bad news before you can understand the good news. The bad news is you didn't deserve to be on God's team. In fact, you and I, I won't talk about you particularly, talk about me, I didn't deserve to be on God's team because I told God to go, that I wanted to run life my own way and I deserve to die. And yet in God's mercy, what happened was, God took his son, who never disobeyed, and had him die in my place. What's the mercy of God? The mercy of God is that I, that you, have the opportunity to be right with God through what Jesus has done. That's the good news. But we have to hear the bad news before we get the good news. So if we've been saved, I want to just quickly give you some dimensions. What does that mean if we've been saved, if we've received God's mercy? Firstly, it means we've been saved from. Saved from, use the word that we can't use anymore. We're saved from hell. Saved from going away from God forever. Saved from the the garbage dump that never stopped burning. We're saved from something. More than that, we're saved into something. If we've said yes to Jesus, if we've said, I'm so thankful for what you've done, he says you're saved into a church, into a church community, from hell into church. So you've become part of this body of people who have found the good news in Jesus. 
more than that, we've been saved from, we've been saved into, we've been saved for. What have we been saved for? We've been saved for the glory of God. Previously, I was living for my glory. Uh, And uh, I I ride my bike. When I ride my bike, I have a little computer program on my phone. And when I ride, it records how fast I go. And it matches it up with everyone else who's ever ridden that part of the road. And then, genius, it creates a leaderboard. So what I can see is, I can see everyone who's used this little thing on their phone, who's ridden that road. So yesterday, I rode up a road that someone has ridden 460 times. Or 460 individuals have gone up this road. And I thought... I'm going to smash this part of the road, right? Now, I can tell you, when I got home and found what number I was, and I won't tell you what number I was, but I was very excited when I got home. When I found that number, I can tell you whose glory I was doing that for. Me. My glory. Absolutely, so I feel good about myself, so I can see how many people I'm stepping on. Now, here's the thing, wonderfully, it's not how I live all of my life. And Jesus has changed that. I'm actually trying to live more and more for his glory. I'm trying to lift up his name, not my name. That actually takes some work from God. So he saves me from hell. He saves me into the church. He saves me for his glory. And he saves me. Oh, that's not helpful. Uh, He saves me. Uh, from, into, for, to. He saves me to, to serve. Now, uh, this is a picture that was taken on the night that Jesus started washing his disciples' feet. You can see the plates on their heads again, that's right. Um, it's obviously not a photo, but it reminds us of, I think, one of the most incredible acts of service that Jesus ever did. He took his dung and dust-covered feet of his disciples, took off his outer garment, got down on his knees, and with a basin and a towel, washed the filth from the feet of his friends. That's extraordinary. Why would God do that? Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Extraordinary. What are we called to do? We're saved from, we're saved into, we're saved for, we're saved to, to serve. God didn't save you so that you could walk around feeling better about yourself, although you may. But he saved you to serve others. That's the purpose of his salvation. So uh, Romans continues. Go back to chapter 12, where we'll spend most of the time, so you won't need to go from it again. Romans chapter 12. And we see how this works, this mercy that I've just spoken of. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It raises the next question, doesn't it? We know what God's mercy is. Now we're called to be living sacrifices. What does that mean? Isn't that inconvenient? I mean, think about this for a second. Uh, the, re- the regular sacrifice is a lamb. How do I make sure it stays on top of the altar? Sorry? You could tie it down, but here's the, more, here's the more successful strategy. You kill it. 
right? It's dead before I put it on the altar. Well, parts of it on the altar, actually. Um, so here's the thing. What, did, what can it mean if everybody understood sacrifices to be dead to say you are to be living sacrifices? What does it mean? Well, I think it does, firstly, it reverses what we were doing with our lives before. I was alive, but what I was offering to God was a fist in his face. Now, that's a picture of a riot, if you're wondering what it is. It's reversing the riotous life that we used to live. So instead of my living being an offence to God, now my living is to please God. So living sacrifices are firstly a reverse. They secondly recognise that a bloody dead lamb is not required anymore. Why is a bloody dead lamb not required for you and I? Because Jesus has been the one sacrifice for all time. We don't need to do this again and again. The reason you can be a living sacrifice is because the dead one has paid the price for you. Does that make sense? So we reverse the way we used to live. We recognise Jesus. The third reason it's a living sacrifice is because we don't have to pay we don't have to pay off the debt that we had before God. We're supposed to live a life of thankfulness, not be paying back a debt. In fact, what we're called wonderfully to do is to live to please him. Have a look at this. Uh, it says there, um, holy and pleasing to God is the kind of sacrifice you ought to be. Now, I don't know if this is news to you. Do you know that you can live to please God? That God is actually not angry with you right now. If you said yes to Jesus, he is looking for you to live a life that will please him. I think that's wonderful. It's actually possible. In fact, in Hebrews, I won't get you to look at it, but in Hebrews 13, it says this, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased with us. I actually think that's really exciting. So it sounds good. Because of God's mercy, we're to be living sacrifices. Excellent. How do we do it? How do we go about being living sacrifices? Well, he goes on to explain that in verse 2. Have a look with me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Uh, I want to take you to Wet n' Wild. Anyone been to Wet n' Wild? I'm surprised that my friends from the retirement village have not. It, that's uh, surprising. Uh, Wet n' Wild, whether you've been or not, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Has this, um, has this part of uh, Wet n' Wild here? I can't remember what it's called. But basically, what it is, it's a, um, a little channel like this. And uh, it flows this way along here. And on the other side it flows back that way, and it's kind of a loop like this. And uh, what you do is uh, you get one of these flotation devices, and uh, you're ready for the amount of effort this requires, is what you have to do. It's absolutely brilliant. So basically, there's a traffic jam of floaty tubes and people blobbing, and literally they just float around in a circle. That's the only thing it does. It's, it doesn't go up and down. It doesn't, there's no waterfalls or anything. It just, you sit in the, and you just blob. 
And there are stacks and stacks of people just blobbing along. And somehow, blobbing along and just being carried along with no effort at all is intrinsically rewarding. It's just fun. And so I, I, you know, got a little double one. So I've got a little hole at the front with Isaac and I'm sitting in the back and he's trying not to fall through his little hole. And we're just floating along and we're looking and bumping into people and everyone's just, it's fun. I think, I think that is very close to explaining, so I'll go back and have a look at the picture. Um, I think that's very, very close to explaining what it means to conform to the pattern of this world. Conform to the pattern of this world. In this world, there is a current. It's flowing in a particular direction. It's easy to go with the flow. It's about the values that people around you have. It's about how much energy you know it will cost you if you do something different than your peer group. Do do you know what I'm talking about? When you choose to stand up and say, that's not right, Or, as a friend of mine did in his workplace, he started saying, actually, I'd like you not to use the Lord's name in vain. Is that okay? I'm not saying you have to do that incidentally. Uh, but, But you'll feel the tug of the world, not when you're going with it. It's absolutely imperceptible. We're just going with the flow. But if you turn around and start saying, actually, I'm going to stand for something other than the values of this world, do you know what? You will feel it. And you'll have to fight to not simply conform to the pattern of this world. In fact, it will be hard work. So Paul says, church, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Not about money, not about relationships, not about values. You have to be changed. All right, what's the problem? I think the issue, and the text here says, the Bible says, the issue is actually a problem of our minds. I probably would have said if I was writing it, it's a problem with our hearts. But Paul doesn't say that. He says it's a problem with our minds. Have a look with me. Uh, well, I'm going to go to Romans chapter, um, uh, Romans chapter 8. And I want you to see how much of a problem with our minds it is. I'm looking at Romans 8 and verses 6 to 8, but you don't have to if you don't want to. It says this. Those who live according to the flesh, that's according to the ways of this world, have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. See, there's a problem. When my mind is set up in, in opposition to God, I can't please him. My desire is to please myself and my flesh. And look, that's not too difficult to understand, is it? It means our appetites are our captain. What I want, what I feel, what I desire, that drives my life rather than my creator who has good purposes for me. And while I'm listening to my stomach or my loins, I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm not conforming to God's pattern. I'm shaking my fist in his face. But I'll tell you what I am doing. 
going with the flow of this world. There is a change possible. Paul speaks to the church in Rome and he says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature but by the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. The Holy Spirit helps us to think differently. I want you to get this. I can't strengthen this enough. It's not simply an an issue of will. I decide to be a better person today. I decide to choose to please God. It's actually that God, by the person of his Holy Spirit, comes in and renovates us, gives us a transformed mind that we might think differently. Some of you who've been following Jesus for a long time will be able to see I am not thinking the way I used to. Have you had that experience? I don't think like I used to. I'm thinking differently. God is changing me. Now, I hope it is an act of will. Keep choosing to do that. But it's also the work of God's Holy Spirit. He is changing us to please God, which I think is tremendously helpful because it means there's resources that are bigger than just my effort. Isn't that encouraging? I find that tremendously encouraging. So Paul continues, uh, 12.3, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Part of having a right mind is thinking about ourselves in a right way. Let me give you a scale. Here's pride at the top, disgust at the bottom, and humility in the middle. There are all sorts of ways that we can think about ourselves. Some of us need to battle with too high an opinion of ourselves. A turn of phrase I like is, God's lucky to have me on his team. It's about thinking that we're heaps better than everyone else. Some of us, however, have the opposite problem. It's too low an opinion of ourselves. We think of ourselves with loathing or with disgust. Who are we that God could even think of us, let alone use us for his good purpose? Neither of these are right. What God's Holy Spirit will help us to do is to see ourselves, instead of being too great or too low, as of great worth. You're not better than anyone, but you're not less worthy than anyone either. Either God died, Jesus died for you, just as he died for the person right next to you. Do you see how that makes us even? It also says you are incredibly valuable. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. So what are we to do with this sober judgment? Verses uh, 4 continues. For just as each of us is one body with many... uh, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Here's the thing. Remember I said you were saved from... And then saved into. What you're saved into is the body of Christ. And you are an important member of it. And you think, no, I'm not. There are other people who are more important than me. 
That's the yucky buzzer that tells you you did the wrong thing. That's the wrong thought. You're as valuable as others in the body of Christ. In fact, in a body, no part is considered worthless, but plays its part as each member does its part. So if you've been saved into the body of Christ, you are valuable of great worth and you have a role to do. Notice this last bit, which is really cool. Each member belongs to all the others. Here's what happens if you decide to stay home or not serve. We are weaker. Can you see that? We are weaker because you have chosen not to give yourself in service. It's a pretty challenging thought, isn't it? It's not just a decision I make to look after myself on Sunday and think I'm a bit tired, I better sleep in. It's actually I'm making more work. I'm impoverishing, terribly long word, I'm making poorer the body of Christ in this place. They will miss me if I'm not there. Hey, we have a, uh, a brochure, a church brochure. I don't know if you've seen it before. Anyone seen it before? Very good. Uh, we're almost due for a reprint. Matt and I printed 500 of them, I think. Matt and I'm just about out, so that's pretty amazing. Think of how big our church would be if they were all in the hands of people who are in our church. But uh, you probably have four at home somewhere. <laughs> Uh, here's our brochure. It talks about how we do this giving and living. And one of, the, one of the questions down here under compassionate, compassion over here, compassion over here, is this. Do you know how God has gifted you to serve? Before we can be compassionate, before we can be a blessing, I think we need to ask the question, do you know how God has gifted you to serve? Why do we use the words gifted? Why gifted to serve? Well, it's straight from the passage here, really. Uh, in Romans 12, 6, uh, Paul says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, etc., then prophesy in accordance with your faith. The point is, God saved you into his church. And he has equipped you, gifted you, some ability to serve this body. Do you know what it is? This is how Paul says to go about doing the living out once you've figured it out. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now I want you to see, you could easily think, and I could easily think, some of them are more important. And yet we will be weaker if they are not all shown. Each of us is to live them out in accordance with the faith that God has given us. I want you to note from here, some are specially gifted for a particular task. So somebody might have the gift of leading. Awesome. Some might have the gift of mercy. Did you see that on the list? What does that mean? I think it's concern and care for others. Now, some people may specifically be gifted in that. That might be the thing that they're like, wow, I am empowered by God. God has made me the best, one of the good, showers of mercy in this place. So I will do that. They're specifically enabled to do that. But I want to say this as well. Some are generally expected. So do you know what? There'll be all sorts of serving 
that it won't be able to be, we won't be able to say, hey, I'm just going to stop. Has anyone here got the special gift of cleaning up the toilet paper on the floor of the toilets before we go home? Has anyone got that special gift? Well, even if you did, you'd be sitting on your hands, wouldn't you? Oh, God, you have specially gifted me for that, but I'm not interested. I think there's a whole lot of serving here. We want to help you find serving in the way that God has specially gifted you, but there's a whole bunch of serving that just needs to happen because it just needs to happen. So how do we do it? Well, I want to say this first and foremost. You won't be able to be doing it in view of God's mercy if you haven't met Jesus yet. So we would love for you to meet Jesus, to say, I give up being in rebellion. I choose to be part of your team. Meet Jesus. Secondly, begin by serving somewhere. You might go, I don't know how God's gifted me to serve. So I say, pack up the chairs after this and put the Bibles in the box. Start by doing something. Thirdly, we want to start discerning the specific things in community. What I mean by that is, how do I know... Um, perhaps maybe uh, that Matt might be good at preaching. There aren't so many opportunities to preach while we're packing up the chairs, so we've got to discern that over time. We have to, we have to learn about our gifting over time. And the best way to do it isn't just sitting at home in your room, wondering to yourself, now, what do I think I'm... That's not how we're going to do it. Start serving and let the community, watching out for one another, say, hey, I see something in you. I see something in you. Can you see how that's part of what it means to be a body? Fourthly, try specialising. So if someone says, hey, I think you might have an ability to lead here or to do this specific thing, give it a go. Say, hey, can I have a a go? I think we have to be willing to be bad at stuff to find out what we're good at. Lastly, can I encourage everyone here, please keep generalising. We will be a very sad church if someone says, you know what, my special gift is playing the guitar. And once I put down my guitar, I am out. I'm just going to watch, because that's my gift. I'm going to watch everyone else whose special gift is washing up the teacups and wiping down the pillows in the playpen. That, that's their gift. I'm not, can I just encourage everyone here? This place, we have to keep generalising in our service as well. All right, so what are our first steps? First thing really that we say to everyone for moving from some of the packing up chairs levels of serving is please come and do our partnership course with us. Our partnership course enables us to say, you're on board with Jesus, you're on board with our church, and now we can invite you to be part of doing some of the more responsible parts of leadership in our church. We start with safe ministry. We teach you how to care for our kids because that's number one. And then we do three weeks and that's coming up. Uh, if you haven't done our partnership course yet, I've got a little form down the front which will tell you those dates and we would love to have you join us so you can move from making this a church to being my church and then find your place serving in it. Okay, two things before I finish. Our approach in every area of service in this church is this. We want to strive for competence. So we want to help you be the best you can possibly be in the job you're doing. We want you to strive for competence, not satisfied with mediocrity. Does that make sense? We want to push everyone to do a great job where they serve, okay? And we want you to strive for that. Make sense? Brilliant. All right. 
I want to finish on Matt and my behalf by saying thank you. I love our church. I am blown away at how many people are on our rosters who serve every week, who do stuff that they don't get asked to do because they just see it. I love it. And Matt and I are incredibly grateful for the heart of service that exists here. Let me finish by saying, I want to encourage us to be a church that is serving in light of God's mercy. And do you know what? As you serve and I serve, we will be served in this place and find great joy in God's service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for Jesus, that it's in view of his mercy that we can serve. Transform our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. Give us energy and joy in serving others and make us wise in discerning how best to do it. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.